So we've got a particularly awesome scripture tonight. Um, surprise, surprise. And <laughs> um, John chapter 4. So for those who were here last week, we finished off John chapter 3, um, and now we're transitioning into John chapter 4. Looking at this woman of Samaria, um, what I thought I'd do, I'll just read, I'll read the scripture and then we're going to rip it apart together. Um, so starting from verse 7, it says this. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that said to you, Give me a drink, you who would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the, wa- the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself, and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will be in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me some of this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and and you people say that in Jerusalem and in this place is where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Interesting passage, eh? And this is, in this passage, we see an interaction between Jesus and this woman of Samaria. And we see here a woman coming to draw physical water from a physical well. And Jesus just, it almost seems like it's that he's there by chance, but there's no chance in him, hey. And he intercepts this woman in and amongst her, her everyday life and says to her, how, how about you give me a drink? And there's a little interaction between the two where the woman says, well, you know, we're of a diff- different ethnicity. There's some cultural things going on. And, and, and Jesus says to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you 
living water. See, it looks on the outset like he's asking something of her, but really, actually, he's got something to give her. And while she's talking about physical water from a physical well, he's got something so much better in mind for her. It's called living water. And she says, look, I give me some of this water. I want this water. And Jesus says to her, well, if you, if you want this water, there's just one thing I need to ask of you. Go and get your husband and then come back. And here we have the key to, to what it is that Jesus is touching on and, and, and see we see in this woman this pattern in her lifestyle. She's had five husbands, and the man that she's currently with is not her husband. And Jesus touches on the, the deepest, most, the, the thing that holds her heart the most and says, hey, if you want living water, there's one thing I want from you. It's called your heart. And so there's a moment here where she has an opportunity presented to her to go to a well and not just receive physical water, but actually to enter into this living water that Jesus has on offer. And so we're going to unpack and dive into what it was that was going on in this, in this interaction between these two and, un, and, and unpack what this living water is that Jesus has on offer and what it is that's required of this particular woman to enter into and receive this living water that Jesus has on offer. Is that cool? All right, so I've got some questions here for the panel. Question number one is, what is the living water that Jesus is offering the woman? And why does she think that he's talking about physical water? What is the living water that Jesus is offering this woman? Greg, I don't know if you want to kick us off with, what, what is this living water? I mean, ultimately, it's himself, because he is the water of life. And so then it's everything that's within him, which is an eternal life. So really, the living water is just himself and everything that's contained within himself. And so it even says, um, you know, that you can have springing up to an eternal life. So Jesus came to bring us an eternal life. So the water is really himself and everything contained within himself. We'll get to the thing, this his spiritual word that builds this reality with us. Cool. I mean, there was heaps in this. I was sat in it over the week and, and really kept getting hit on this if you knew the gift of God. And, you know, you, you touched on it before, Greg, about this, this, e- this eternal word that, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so whoever believed in him wouldn't die but live and I realise you know the next bit is a bit of a clincher because it comes after saying I haven't come to condemn the world I mean the world's already condemned that happened back in early Genesis I've come to save it and so there's something greater that's going on and, and then as I was reading this I was reeling you know what she is me until I get to that point where I recognise this living water that you're talking about, she is me. And to receive not just salvation that I get to heaven, but that salvation comes and this walk as Christ walked on earth, salvation takes root in here, this living water. 
man, it's, it's completely different as he starts to to reveal and to show that. And this, I mean, there's there's a lot happening in this little interaction. She's a Samaritan. I mean, she's a woman. She's a Samaritan. That he would even talk to her. Samaritans generally were Sadducees. They didn't believe in life after death. They say that's why they're sad, you see. So there is no spiritual sort of hope for them. <laughs> but, but I mean, how? again, I saw that and I thought, she is me. She is, she is of this age that we're in now. Who There is no spiritual life. So someone comes up and says to her something that she's got no recognition of a gift that is going to well up to eternal life now because there is no eternal life. So what, what, is, what is that? So her link back to the physical still there. Well, he's, he's actually gone fishing and thrown a hook out. Caught you. you know? And I'm now going to start to speak into something that's much greater. They didn't believe in the prophets. They believed basically in the Torah. So in the prophets comes all these other scriptures that talks about, uh, in Jeremiah, God talks about that, God, I am the living water that you have forsaken. And so they had no knowledge of a, a living spiritual water. You know, when I, when, I, when I first started to hear about the Lord, I knew of Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through, through my Catholic upbringing. But the thought that God could speak to me, that he would put his spirit within me, a gift of God in me, well, that was completely new information. That was to become a completely new revelation that when that really hit home, it becomes a manifestation of his love because it's love that comes in. So to be, con- to be told, I'm going to give you living water, you've got no framework for what living water is, well, of course it's H2O. You know, and I, I, I suppose as a plumber, that always <laughs> gets my attention. But uh, there are two things that sit in this and I know that he was you know, just talking to my heart about. Are you a cistern or are you a well? Because a cistern's just a receptacle to hold water that you've got to keep going to fill up. Keep hitting something to try and fill it up. But the gift, it's a wellspring of life. He speaks of the Holy Spirit who's going to come. Who You're not keeping topping up. It's a wellspring that comes up within that she had no frame, no reference for that. That had to be open to her. She is me. It's, it must be revealed and opened up to us to receive. This is this gift. Oh, man. And that's, that's also made the difference between a cistern and a well. You know, one where the source of it isn't human effort, eh? To continually come. And I think you see in this dialogue with this woman, you know, like a pattern between constantly coming every day for physical water and the one who truly is living water stands in front of her and says, hey, let me tell you about a water that you don't need to work for or earn or constantly be coming to draw from. Let me tell you about the person, the substance, Christ himself, who's going to be the fulfillment of actually everything that you need, not just your physical water, but life itself, hey, you know, and, and that's ultimately what it is that's happening here, eh? 
I wonder if we just get straight on to the second question because I feel like it's probably the key thing for us to um, to really unpack tonight. But we, we see here this woman when she's talking with Jesus. You know, Jesus says to her, if you want this water, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answers and said to her, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have is not your husband. This is uh, this you have said truly. And so I've got here, why does Jesus ask the woman to go and get her husband? And what is it that he's what is it that he's saying to us through this particular dialogue? Do you want to kick us off with that, Greg? What, why, does, why does Jesus ask the woman to go and get her husband if she wants this living water? So he sees all things. He knows the state of your heart. And this is, this is a, like everything. Everything in Christ is a heart issue. And so he wants us to love him with all our heart. And he knows her state of her heart. And that's what I love about him. He knows all our states. You may not know your own state, and you might think you're something that you're actually necessarily not, or what you think could be accurate. So the challenge is, so he, he knows the state of her heart. He, he is the Messiah. He's got knowledge <coughs> of her. Like, how does he know that she's had five husbands? You know, because he knows all things. So this is the thing. He reads our mail, doesn't he? And so he knows that she's trying to fill a reality that only he can fill. And he knows that she's been trying for a long time. And so she's made the same mistake. So there's patterns in her life where she's trying to take an earthly reality and fix a spiritual problem. And so he's got to address that with her. And this is what I love. It's like you know, he comes to her, so like she doesn't come to him, which just shows you the heart of love all the time is that he actually engages with her. She may have just been at the well and left the well um, and not ever engaged, but he engages with her. And I call this, like in all things, it's an apostolic confrontation. It's where heaven meets earth. And he will meet you in your place of where earth is in you to free you from earth and bring his reality within you so then you're truly being released from you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because that is really the entire purpose of the gospel. And so the purpose of a watch is to tell the time. Its entire function, the reason it was made, was for one single purpose, which was to tell the time. The reason you and I have been created is to love God. Okay, So the reason this woman was given life was to love God, but she couldn't love God because she was still the God of her own life. He knows that. So he's identifying that, and he's speaking a reality that she's unaware of. So she's going, what, 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 what has my husband and living water got to do with anything? Well, where's the living water going to be? So he identifies the problem he's about to fix with his solution, if. And the thing is about this story is you never know whether she did or not. It's left hanging. We like to think, oh, yeah, she went away. She shared with the people, and they all came to Jesus, and it was one happy family. And that happened, but we never know whether she actually went and got a husband, which means if she didn't and it never happened, then she's actually outside of something, isn't she? And it's interesting, eh, because even in here, you know, Jesus, like you said, 
is able to see what's happening beneath the hood, eh, in that in the inner realm. And the issue actually isn't the husband at all. And the issue wasn't the husband before or the husband before that, or the fact that she's actually living in an adulterous relationship with her current husband. Do you know what I mean? It's not like he goes it's not like he goes to her and says, Hey, if you want this living water, you better stop living in adultery. Do you know what I mean? It's like he he, he doesn't he doesn't go to the surface level issue. He goes beyond that and says, Hey, if you want living water, let me touch on not your adultery, but your heart. Because the adultery really is only a fruit of actually what underpins it, which is the fact that actually you're looking for life and, hu- and human and earthly people, things, really you're just the God of your own life like we looked at last week, you know, and the week before. And so he, he's able to see actually what the root issue is and say, hey, go get your husband. Oh, actually, it's not your husband actually, I want you to rend your heart and not your garments, you know? I want, the, I want the, the inner thing, the thing that's trying to find life outside of me, that's the thing that I'm going after. You know? And so we are to do the same, aren't we, when it comes to people? But so often we're not, because we don't usually love ourselves. We go for the behaviour, so we would want to address this sin, as opposed to go to the place of, you're a wounded, broken lady, and I come with the solution. I'm not going to address your sin or the problem. I'm just going straight for the reality that can set you free. And see, one's a spirit of love and the other's a spirit of legalism. Legalism will always point out the wrong and never give you the right. But love always leaves you with the right and never addresses the wrong. It's like when he says to the woman who's been, that, you know, that the religious legalistic people want to stone the woman and they bring her right into the court so they can expose her. Love never exposes, love covers. And then he says to her, did no one else stone you? No, then, then he says, you know, don't sin anymore. So when that love is in you, you start living this too. You're not looking for behaviour. You're not looking what people aren't doing. You look to the solution for life. That's what he says. Uh, he who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. You know, it's like, actually, guys, you are living in the same spiritual state as the person that you want to stone right now, you know? And so you see, even in the, in the way that he's covering her, actually he's addressing them at the same time, eh? you know, because the root issue may not be manifesting in physical adultery for the Pharisee, but actually the fact that you want to expose her and stone her shows actually you're living beneath the marriage covenant that you are predestined to be part of. And so it's actually an even worse form of adultery than the one you're trying to condemn, you know? And I think that's, to me, that, that's the issue, right? It's like you need to take the, the plank out of your own eye before you try and take the speck out of someone else's because the heart of man is the same regardless but will just manifest itself in different ways and I feel like we're so good at elevating one above the other eh? it's like oh my goodness sexual sin you're living you're you're living with a husband who's not you're living with someone who's not your husband as if that is like the the pinnacle of and you know I don't think Jesus ever condones that kind of behavior but actually that's not the issue that he's talking about, you know, the, the issue is one of the heart, and he he loves the person 
without being able to say, hey, actually your behavior is okay because he knows that there's a greater potential for this lady and if she was just to get this right, her life would now then be an expression of grace and mercy and healing and forgiveness and wholeness as opposed to, to lack, you know? And so, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think like the reality of love, when, when love hits a person's heart, it causes a, a response, you know, and so to me that's why he's, not, why he's not about calling out her sin, he's about calling her into who she's called to become, you know, and so, yeah. He addresses the root issue, so his power has to reroute us. So when he turns up to you, he, in any human, he addresses the root issue. The axe must come at the root. So our behavior is all a demonstration of the root that still lives within us. That's our challenge as the church. You've got to get re-rooted and rooted and grounded in love. So then lust no longer comes out. I don't mean sexual lust, I mean self. Okay, so there's no room for legalism now because legalism, the root has gone of legalism. You're now rooted in love. So your only natural response is love. And that's why he is the prototype that we are all to become. And so when Stephen is stoned, love comes out because he has the root of love. He's filled with Christ. So that's just the innate response. So just like you respond from the opposite of love, when he reroutes you, it flicks it. And now it's love coming out of you. And it's not based on behavior. So you have compassion for people. Because just humanity's broken. But love has compassion. The law wants to smash. The law looks at behavior. The law is incapable of looking beyond behavior. Because that's its standard. Only love can look beyond behavior and stay with and walk with in the hope that someone will get rerouted in love. I just, just this whole, even tonight in our, in our time of worship and song, I mean, the, the, the essence, the heart of all this was around love. And Again in Jeremiah it says, my, my people have forgotten me, days without number, how well you prepare your way to seek love, but not him. And so seeking love in every other way possible, except through God, who is love. And this is what you know, we see in this interaction that he's coming now to actually uh, present to her the very issue, like saying, you know, go, go get your husband, or he already knows, he goes and now tells her. But the, so the issue is, where's your heart? Because we've got to put ourselves in the picture. We've got to put ourselves in that story and go, how am I seeking love? Who are my six husbands? What's my version of this so that I'm actually able to, to present that or come to you and allow you to do that work in me where I'm now rooted and grounded in love in you, not in myself trying to top this up. And this is, you know, like, so Matthew 10, you know, we've, I don't know how many times I've preached this. If you love father, son, mother, child, even your own life, 
you're not worthy. So that's the same as that. So don't think, oh, this isn't me because I don't have five husbands on my six. If you love someone more than, this is talking to you. And it's not even necessarily a person per and se, me. right? You know, it's like, it, that, that's right. It could be a person, it could be a position. It's, they're all fruit of what you're saying before, which is an, an inner issue, you know? It could, be a, it could be a person. It could be the fact that you're trying to find your identity through your career or through your family or you can put in anything in there. Really, it's all a symptom, a symptom of the same root issue, you know? And I think to me it's... it's you know, it's it's the it's the way. It's looking for life and things outside of Him. You know, and He's saying, "I am eternal life. If you had just come to Me, you wouldn't need to run back and forth looking for living water, of drawing water every day. You wouldn't need to be on to your sixth, maybe looking for your seventh. You'd find that your soul would be satisfied. You know, it says that godliness is great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. You know that verse? You know, godliness is great gain. Why is it gain? Because it's accompanied by contentment. Because the thing that you're desperately trying to find in living and building your own life and getting all these things, actually it's fulfilled in Him. And so it's, it's a great... Godliness is a greater gain than any earthly position because you've found life itself. And the, the reality of having received him in you is so precious that actually you, you, you lose an appetite for pursuing natural earthly things. You know? You're no longer you know, working for the food that perishes. You're living for what endures to eternal life. You know? And so it is, it's this inner rewiring, this inner rerouting. We have actually tapped into the true source of life, which is Christ. It doesn't mean that you don't need other things physically. It doesn't mean that you don't have a house and you don't have a husband and you don't have a job. You literally need those things to to survive physical life, but they're not what life was about, eh, you know? And he says, if you just seek me, seek first my kingdom and its righteousness, the reality of the, you know, Christ in you, you actually have those things that will be provided for you. Mm. And, and so it's an entirely different mindset that the thing that was previously number one is no longer number one because you've, you've found life itself, hey? Those things become a blessing now not a burden once you've been rerouted, you know? And so that's the beauty of it all. So the marriages and how, like many people, what are you worried about? You're worried about your income, eh? Because money provides a lifestyle. But there's nothing wrong. It's not, it's not money, it says the love of money. So you can't love money in God. So if you love money, then what's your God? Money. There's nothing wrong with money. So everything becomes a blessing rather than a burden. So the things of God, like marriage, like kids, like all those things can be burdensome because you haven't been rerouted. But once you're rerouted, everything becomes a blessing. Doesn't sound, I'm not saying it's easy, but you actually see it completely differently because you've been rerouted. It's almost like they're perks, eh? It's like they're the... They're they're the perks, but they're not the promise. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and so on. on um, I wasn't so much making a joke, but it's you know, in, in reality, you can you can think that you can think that the things of 
or value the perks more than you do the promise. Do you know what I mean? Like the things of God as opposed to God himself, you know, or even marriage, you know, the perks of marriage as opposed to the purpose of marriage, you know, it's like the, actually the purpose of marriage is for discipleship. But do we view that as God's primary first place position for marriage? What, or what about children? Our children are about discipleship as well. They're about having Christ formed in us in a a family environment that facilitates selfless love for one another. I wonder if we see our kids like, do you see what I'm saying? And it's like the the perks have become the end in and of themselves. Coming to a church family, you know, know, to be able to find friendship and have fun and all those kind of things. Actually, that's an awesome part of, of family life, but they're the perks, not the purpose and the promise, you know? And so we need to transition from the things of God to God himself or the things that he's given as blessings. But actually it says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, you know? It's like, what is blessing if it's a spiritual blessing? It's almost like you think of blessing and it's like, oh, um, you know, you're... You know, you're so blessed because you've got two kids and you've got a nice wife and you've got a nice house. But actually the way that Ephesians defines blessing is actually spiritual, right? Before it, and, and earthly things are blessings, but they're not the primary, they're the secondary. And to me it's this, when, when you're rerouted and rewired, you see number one is number one and number two is number two, you know? And the things that God has given, you can actually appreciate and value but you're not bound by them anymore. You're not consumed by them. They don't dictate your life. And your world does no longer revolve around these things. They revolve around him. And you're thankful for what you have, you know. And so you're content. You're content with little or much. Actually, it's all of the same, really, because you've got the one of life, you know. So. Absolutely. The, um, I mean, the beauty of that is that that's a work of the Holy Spirit because something else is now going to take place because he says that we're to be conformed to the image of the Son. So, so the, the transformation, the renewing of our mind, it's going to actually have a manifestation of in our lives that we would, John speaks, that we would walk in this world just as Christ did conformed to his likeness, to his image, to his character, his nature formed within us. So it's to have an outcome. And I think, you know, for for um, Stephen, you know, and when, when the time came, he wasn't clinging hold of his property deed to his household. He was separated from that stuff, you know. He still had to live somewhere, but that wasn't what he was living for, a much greater thing within. All right. Any any questions before we keep working our way through the scripture? It's just a couple of things that are um, occurring to me as we're speaking about this and the systems and the wills thing and the different manner of life. So we've been talking about the blessings and everything, but those things, when they're binding you, they're, they're also... Um, you're holding on to them and their security. And that's that's the thing that causes great issues in our heart. And and I know for me that I lived in that mode 
where it was like a system and I would give and I'd give and I'd give and I'd give and then I'd <sighs> run out of love, you know, and, and sort of like need a top up. You know, and I and 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 I know from talking with people that they've experienced the same thing, or maybe are still living in that. You know, they they're coming, maybe to a service to get topped up. You know, and it's like, but that is that is this other way where we are self-sourcing, and I'm not talking about a chocolate pudding. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like that whole way of living where you're living from yourself. And you're empowered by yourself, but you're living for him with great intentionality and, and you can be utterly committed and everything, but you haven't you haven't transitioned and you haven't died as that source. And that was the, the thing that I that was the first thing that it, and it was an utter revelation that I could actually love from his love. And that was unending and that was like what and then I experienced it, and I was like, "Far out! This is what I was meant to be living in all the time." Do you know what I mean? And I've been living in this, this, this system reality rather than this living, um, living life that is Him. That is nothing to do with me, other than me being surrendered and knowing that I'm totally dependent on him. And now all of these things are held lightly. So a blessing is not mine by right. It's mine and received with thanksgiving. But in the same, in the same breath, if it's taken away, I don't fall over. And it is, eh, when you're like, when you're living from you as the source of your love like that, it's like you only have such a limited capacity to be able to love, hey, and it gets, it's almost like, you know, you've got, you've got you and your family, and it's like, it, the, because what's in you is so limited, you lock it down, and anyone else who tries to find their way and actually there's there's nothing to give your your insula, eh? You know, and that that love isn't really lo- or love at all if the sources of the sources you, hey? You know, and so, but I feel like when when he becomes the source, actually there's there's unlimited love. So you open up and you see others, and all of a sudden you're no longer just it's no longer just you and your own little world. There's actually a, a well of water that what is it that wells up to eternal life that all of a sudden you can you can now give not from a place of emptiness but from a place of fullness hey you know without depletion absolutely you know mm. well, I, the word that just keeps coming to my mind is it's it's when you live from the natural so you're still very much of the natural you're still very much of earth rather than the eternal. And so like this woman, this woman is of earth. Yeah, She knows nothing. She knows some scriptures. So she knows one's coming. That's all she's got. But she has no idea that that one is standing in front of her. Because he even says, I am the Messiah. And then she goes, could he be the Messiah? You know. And so you either live from the eternal, the spirit, or you live from earth. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Because we have both, you know, there's this flesh and spirit thing. And so it is that rerouting reality, 
you know. Otherwise, you know, we'll just live from this earthly love. And earthly love can live quite a bit. You know, people like a dad will give his life for his natural child, won't they? You know, some will be able to go through with that, but it's still conditional because that same father wouldn't give it for a stranger. And love isn't determined by relationship. You know, so the love that we have for one another is to be exactly the same. It's not to be based because, you know, Danielle and I are married and so our love is greater for one another than it is for you because that's still natural love. So I know my wife more. I'm more intimate with my wife. I know my wife better than I know you, and that's right. But the love we have for one another is to be exactly the same that we'd have for you because God is not a God of favorites. So his love doesn't go, oh, I like you, don't like you, you're a bit better, you're a bit better. See, his love just goes, it's all equal. And so that's the power of the church because the church loves not based on how well it knows people, it loves on how well it knows the Father, love. So that's why people come, how can you love me? You don't even know me, but you treat me as if I am your own. Yeah. So then what does that look like in a natural family, if that's the standard? Like what does a marriage look like where the husband and the wife actually love one another with the love of Christ because the husband and the wife have been rerouted? Then how does a husband and a wife, or just anybody, but how does then they love their children who are still probably to be rerouted? Mm. You know, what does that look like being on the other end of that as a child? It's phenomenal, see? And that's why the central purpose of this entire thing is love. But, you know, he comes. I love I just love that he comes to her, you know, and he says, Lady, give me a drink. He says, All you who are and well, it's, yeah, so yeah, so thirsty and hungry, come to me, and you will never be thirsty and hungry. See, so like Sandra's saying, not only are you full, you're overflowing. So you never run dry because you've tapped into the well that is always giving, because the Father is the resource of everything. So He doesn't know lack. Yeah. So when you're abiding and one with Him, and He's one with you then you're the recipient of this all-consuming love. So it says in Ephesians 6.24, it says, Grace to all those who love the Lord Jesus with an incorruptible love. Like power to all those who have discovered that reality within themselves, who love Christ with the love Christ loves them with. I mean, that would be something to worth pursuing. I have a measure of that within me. I know what that has done and the burning on the inside that is constant. To love him with a burning, not even one another first because that comes from there. So what does that look like, love from here, here? What does that look like for Helen? You know, it, it truly is eternal. And I love that it says, if, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that uh, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, eh? You know, and it says, it doesn't say that God loves, it says that God is love and love is standing in front of her, eh? You know, and if, if, if love is something that God does, 
then he can love you or not love you or love someone else more than he loves you or you know if you're doing well he loves you if you're not doing so well he doesn't love you and he has favor on this person and not on this person or you know do you see what I'm saying it's like but if he is love then he can't not love and the and for you to be able to say oh I can see that God loves this person I just I'm just not sure about me actually that's offensive towards God because it's what it's saying is actually God you aren't love you see what I'm saying it's like and and so to say that God doesn't love me, actually, what are you saying? Actually, you just don't know who he is because he does love you, you just don't know it. You know? And to me, that, that's, where the, that's where the reality of the revelation of who he is needs to confront us and needs to confront this woman. Eh? And it takes it so far out of performance-orientated acceptance because actually it's not about what you do for him or how well you're going or whether you're living up to his standard. Actually, it's about the reality of who he is. And if you were just to know the one who stood in front of you, actually, you would ask. And he, and you'd know that he actually has living water to give you because actually it's not about you at all it's about him and the fact that he chose you before you could even do anything right or wrong what does it say in, in Romans you know that before the two twins could even make a decision God's gracious choice stood you know and that's that's the reality eh and that, that we need to see who he is and be confronted with the revelation and the reality of who he is and actually see ourselves as caught up in his bigger picture and not be trying to create God in our own image, which is an image that's been tainted by the fall that, that lacks love. Hey, that's empty and trying to define a God who's full. We need to receive the reality of fullness in us, love in us so that we can actually understand him in the, the way that he tr actually truly is. You know? mm. so. And I think that's why he says, you know, later on, it says true worshippers worship in spirit and truth, which means there's false worshippers, isn't there? So he says, you worship a God you don't know. Well, that can be us. Like, you can worship the God, but you don't really know. You know about him, but you don't really know him in a way that God wants you to know him. And so how can you be a true worshipper? So there are obviously false worshippers and there are true worshippers. So he says true worshippers worship in this framework. So there's actually a context to which true worship is. You know, and God says, I, I don't need your offerings. I don't need your service. I don't need what I need. And what I want is your entire heart. You know, so maybe that's the next. What does it actually mean to be a true worshipper? Because he's saying, lady, you worship a God you have no reference for. That can be us. So what does it mean to be a true worshipper? It's not a hypothetical question. I think it's a... An, um, what, what do you guys think? What does it mean to be a true worshipper? Well, when you're, free, when you're free in the Spirit, then you know what worshipping in the Spirit is. <coughs> in the Spirit of the Lord is your freedom. So in the Spirit is freedom to worship as well in the Spirit. A lot of what we live is um, having to deal with our flesh actually here, which is a problem. Because the flesh has to be crucified, so it has no say about anything. And when you follow Christ, So freedom in the spirit. What what about 
What about for others? Any other any other takers? What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? What about you, Paul? What do you reckon? Worshipping in spirit and in truth. I'll let you perceive it in the spirit, brother. <laughs> you know, I think there, there's something that was, again, there, there's, look, there's massive interaction going on in here because he says to somebody who doesn't believe in spirit, you've got to worship in spirit and in truth. And so, again, some, someone who would be used to or familiar with an environment where everything was done absolutely by the letter of the law. Now, if you wanted to nail Sadducees on something, it was that. You would live by the letter of the law. Do this and you got it right. Boom. But where's the heart in that? And in the spirit, you know, he's writing, I give you a new heart. I write my law of love on your heart. So from the heart, from the true inner being, will, will come this desire to worship you. And the spirit of a man cries out and worships and cries out, Abba, Father. Because something is, is, rises up from within my spirit and lays down my life. And if I lays down, down my life for him, then I lay my life down for you. And it's truth, which is Christ. And his life now lived in me is evidenced by a life that looks like his. And it could be interesting, eh, when he says when he says, you know, true worship is worship in spirit and in truth. To think of, you know, because there's an and in there and there's two poles, it's almost like you need to have both sides. So, you know, I've I've either got the you know, I've got the spirit. Oh no, I've I've got the truth. You know, like I, I worship in the spirit often can be interpreted as, you know. I, I dance around to music or, you know, like I speak in tongues when I, um, in, do you see what I'm saying? It's like worshipping in spirit is almost perceived as like some sort of spiritual kind of um, action when you're singing, you know, or I worship in the truth, oh, actually that stuff's all a load of rubbish, you know, it's all about, um, it's all about the scriptures, it's all about the word, it's all about, um, you know, flag all of that weirdo stuff, you know, it's actually about having a good, solid knowledge of the Bible, you know, like, as if there's, like, almost like these two things. Actually, he's not saying any of that at all, you know, it's it's not about these, it's not about finding a nice balance between two competing things, you know. He's saying, those who worship me worship in spirit and in truth. He is the spirit and he is the truth. And, and those who are true worshippers worship in the true reality of who he is inside them. They've received the person, Christ on the inside, who is spirit, who is truth. And so they worship from a position which isn't man's position, either side of the pole. They worship from, from true revelation knowledge of who he is, the truth that's been brought to life by this the reality of the spiritual reality of Christ in him, whose lives are a reflection of the person that they've come to know, you know? So you don't come to the rock on a Sunday morning to worship. Actually, you enter into the revelation of who Christ is in you, and your life 
as a living expression of worship, you lay it down because you've actually received mercy in you, Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see the difference between... That's right. It's not a thing you do. It's a natural, innate expression of the person who's made his home inside of you, you know? And so your life lived as an expression of devotion and worship to the person that you've come to know, you know? I think what I think what we're saying is that actually singing songs isn't necessarily worship at all. What what we're talking about is worship really being the the laying down of your life. And when you when you're living from worship, absolutely you'll sing a song of praise. And I think in the time of music you see I can't help but praise. You know, to me that's like that, that is when 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 you're living from worship, you will absolutely sing. You will not. Ne- you don't necessarily sit on your seat and have your frown on. You know, it's like, the, like the, you know, like the reality of what he he does actually makes you. It makes you sing. You know what I mean. And even if you're not singing necessarily twenty four seven all the time. It talks in, I think it's in Corinthians, about actually you, you, you're singing songs in your heart to the Lord, you know. And if there's anyone that doesn't like singing, it's me, you know. But actually it's, it's not about the singing. There's an expression that comes out of you of gratitude and thankfulness. And you, you actually sing. Even people that don't like singing sing because it comes out, you know. And so anyway... <laughs> So just for the recording, <laughs> how do, how do you how do you um, worship as a natural expression of your life without being overly super spiritual when you're walking down the street? Is that is that, is that yeah? It's a it's a fantastic question. I I I love the word worship. So I'll just but but out of context, it makes it very tricky. Yeah. And so we've used the word worship completely out of context, and we still do, which makes it really hard. Okay, So I would answer this way. How do you be the expression of Christ every day of your life so you're not this crazy person? You need to know Christ. And when you know Christ, you'll know how to not be crazy, and you'll know how to walk in alignment because Christ is telling you how to. He's teaching you. It's as simple as that. So I don't want to complicate it because it's literally as simple as that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the ch- the challenge is I, I love this because it says you know like it says God seeks true worshippers. So where the seeker of true worship is seeking, God's seeking, and so God and the true seeker meet and have a collision because there's one who is seeking and God is seeking the one who worships in spirit and truth. And so if you put yourself into the situation of this woman, this woman does not yet know Christ. She is a non-believer. Okay? 
And so there's two conversations going on, isn't there? There's the conversation of earth and there's the conversation of the eternal and they are completely missing each other, but Jesus isn't missing her. She's just missing him. You know? And so you've got to start scripturally what true worship is because she's a non-spiritual being. Like she has no concept. So unless you're born of the spirit, you cannot worship in spirit. Because you don't have the substance in you because it's not there. So you've got to go right back to being born again. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit? Because outside of that, I'm like this woman. She does not have the Spirit in her. Hence, she worships a God that she doesn't know. But she does have information through the Scriptures because she's a Samaritan. She's been told there's a guy coming called the Messiah. But she's completely outside of the reality. Okay? So then you've got to go and look. And actually, what is the context for worship? And as Sam and the guys are saying, it's got nothing to do with singing songs. So even in Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know, we always go to Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to the patterns of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? But unless you're in 1, you'll never be in 2. Because 1 says, in view of God's mercy, which means you need to know his mercy because you got born of the Spirit. So he's opened your eyes to his mercy. So mercy becomes the motivating substance that you need to lay your life down. So in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. But unless you've got in view of God's mercy, you're never going to lay your life down. You'll be like this woman who's hanging on to the God of self. So the reason why she's got husbands is because she's got... So the husband is an idol, yeah? And the reason why people have idols in their life is because they're still the God of their self. So God of self has idols, but God has no idols. So if we've been rerouted, you don't have any idol in your life. You don't have a husband, a wife, more than. Okay? So the process is when you are not a Christian... Repentance hits, you need to be born of power, you need to die, and you need to lay your entire life down in view of God's mercy so he can actually start to go to work on your heart so then your mind can get renewed. So you can almost kiss it goodbye that your mind's going to be renewed if you haven't actually laid your life down because your heart, which is hardened with unbelief, will go no to the word so your mind doesn't even have a chance to get renewed. So you will never be a true worshipper. You'll come here and sing songs. You'll maybe give money. You'll maybe preach the gospel. You'll maybe go overseas, but you're not a true worshiper because you don't even know what it is to truly worship God. And we go spirit and truth. No, there's no such thing as spirit and truth because it's the spirit of truth. And as Sam said, Jesus is the spirit. He's the truth. He's the way. He's the life. He's everything. And so it's purely knowing Christ enables you to live as Christ. And so you lay your life down. It's not laying your life down. You've laid it. But you've got to lose it. How many people intentionally lost something? <laughs> not one of us have tried to lose something, have we? You see how that's out of our grasp? Because you've got to lose what you don't know you're going to lose because no one wants to lose because we don't try to lose stuff. So you've got to lose your life. How does that happen when you don't want to lose your life? Because you don't want to lose your car keys. I intentionally lost my car keys. No, you don't intentionally lose anything. 
See, so that's where it's got to start. It's got to start right there. <laughs> Lord help Warren. <laughs> and so then you transaction. So once you've lost, what's the next thing you get filled with? Which is love, spirit. Then you can lay then you can live. See the transaction? Now some people go from there to there because of what happens. But most people have to journey through. But a lot of people have still haven't even lost anything. And this is what I'm talking about. The God of self is in this woman's life. But Jesus loves that he comes and he wants to address it. But he doesn't address it as the God of self. He says, lady, go get your husband. What did he say to the rich young ruler? It's the same story working itself out. But he took off because he knew someone was coming for him. You know, it's like the sniper with the red dot. Lines your heart right on the heart. Oh, my goodness. Time to get out of here or time to die. But really, it's time to live. Boom. So as you've been speaking, um, I've just really felt that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but so what it means to worship in spirit and in truth, or the spirit of truth, that the worship is the laying down of our lives, right? And um, so if it says further down, whoopsie, God is spirit, God is truth. So it's the two in one, and it's the duality. And I'm just thinking about that word, it's the duality, it's the both, it's the more than it's the limitless life because he is limitless he's there is no limit in him and the duality just made me think about um the duality different wording dual so the jewel is in jewel two the jewel is in a jewel diamond so the duality is the jewel christ which is the authentic character of christ which is the light from a jewel, diamond, if you will, shards of light comes out, that pierces your heart, which brings revelation, which brings the conviction, which brings his, it's ultimately his love, because that's what melts and breaks us. Then that brings us into the reality, the authentic Christ-like life that he wants us to live. So then there will be that transaction. Does that make sense? So it's ultimately his love. So then we actually can live in a way of realness, authentic, Christ-like living because we've been pierced to the heart through his love, the duality of spirit and truth. I, it, that, that duality word is, is... So God is one. When you're in one, then you can see God is three. But if you don't have one down, then you see three or two. But God is not two or three, he's one. So spirit and truth is the person, it's the same person. So when you receive the person, then all of a sudden you start seeing spirit and truth as one, not two. This is our challenge because the natural is in multiple. So we talk about the manifold wisdom of God, yeah? Manifold, but it's actually one. And only when you're in one, Lord, I pray that they would be one as we are one. Here, O Israel, the Lord is one. 
can you understand everything in God? Because you will always have the and and the but, which is two. But God is not two, he's one. And so people get so confused over the Trinity, yeah? It's really simple, it's just God. Father, Son, Spirit. Oh, I've got a better relationship with the Son than I do the Father. Don't understand that. Got a better relationship with the Father than I do with Jesus. Don't understand that. Got a better relationship with the Holy Spirit than Jesus. Don't understand that. Because they are one and the same expression. So through revelation of the one, all of a sudden now you start seeing the multiple. And it makes sense. But it comes back to the one. And so it has to come back to the one in you because it's just God. And this is what we struggle with because you read and, you read but, we read revelation, then I need something else. No, I go revelation, manifestation, demonstration, three things, but they're one. It's so innate. Now, you don't think in the natural, you don't have an and, it's not Gregson nor and. It's just you, and you know how to be as one of the kind you're of. And it's the same in the spirit. And so this is this work that has to happen in us, which is that only he can do. You don't know this unless it's happened within you. You can't understand it in your mind. That's why you don't even try. You cannot understand the scriptures. You cannot understand the scriptures without the Holy Spirit. That's the design of God. God has set it up that way, but we think we can. And so you read that the, everything we've said about worship tonight not being what we said is because we're trying to understand that mind because you think worship because everyone talks about worship the worship team there's no such thing as a worship team Jay is, are we saying Jay is laying his life down more than me because he's in the worship team yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no I set you up <laughs> next week Jay's what he's saying is he wants to but Jay's on the preaching next week is what he wants to say there you go Jay <laughs> and so you know so it's just this challenge isn't it it's the challenge of going I know nothing you know this woman knows nothing but she knows some information but it's nothing hmm. you know literally so she has nothing it's facts it's nothing and so he has to bring us into this oneness and she even, the way that she starts to talk about worship, it's so funny. It's like 2,000 years ago, but the same um, institutional religious issues are like right there. Eh? She's like, you people worship on this mountain. And we know that we worship on this. He's like, what are you talking about? Worshiping on what mountain? To worship me in spirit and in truth. Eh? And so all, you know, he's already addressing these you know, earthly mindsets of what of what worship is, you know. That's beautiful too. But um just what you were asking before about how do you know? And you know, he he's addressing the fact that well you I mean imagine being told that. You're worshipping something you don't even know. Well I thought I did know. Well I'm telling you you don't know. You don't even know what you're worshipping. We, where the spirit of truth resides, actually do know. But don't you love it when, when you read scripture about God and he says, but, and you know, something, something really cool is coming. You know, and then he says that um, the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth and such that the Father's looking for because suddenly we've gone from a what to a who. And who do you know? 
because that's going to be the expression of your worship to who you know. And so the weirdness starts to go out of it when you know him and when he has come and revealed himself you know, within. And I think, you know, when you know the person, without knowing the person, the scriptures are, are so, so confusing, eh? Because they speak of so many different things. But when you know the person, actually all the, it says all the scriptures are written of him, you know? And to me, it's like, because it's a person, so for example, as a person, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm an uncle, I'm a brother, I'm a work, do you see what I'm saying? It's like there's a manifold expressions but the one person. And so you don't get confused thinking it's spirit and it's truth. It's, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Actually, if you know the person, you actually have the key to everything, hey, you know. And just like you're saying, Greg, you know, that he says he gives us his Holy Spirit. And yet he also says that the Father and I, the Son, will come and dwell in you. Was well, it the Spirit dwelling in you? Was the Father dwelling or the Son? Well, it's one. I just wanted to try and sort of bring it down and really simplify it, how I'm seeing it and see what you think. I mean, if we think of the woman at the well, he met her and he, and he points out this thing that's in her heart that's like a blockage within her heart to be able to worship in spirit and truth. And it's like the clearing of the getting rid of that, which is the laying down of her life, laying down of her desires, her will, her ways, is going to free her up, that she has a clean heart. David said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit in me. So we may have received the right spirit, but our heart is not free of self. It's not free of our own will and our own desires, and God wants to free us of those will and desires and make them his own. And then this heart that's free of our own will and desires will express the Christ through a clean vessel. And that, that we, we are these, these vessels in the hand of the potter that's supposed to be totally clean. He said to the Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is filthy. You know, so he wants these vessels, basically a conduit, a hose for God that as the spirit pours in one end and goes out the other. If you look at the actual heart, the physical heart itself, what does it do? The blood comes in and it runs through and it's pumped out the other side. And that's what he's wanting for us. He wants Christ pumped in, pumped through and pumped out the other side. It's as simple as that. You know? And this is what he desires, a clean vessel, a clean heart. Because if you have a blockage in your heart, it's not going to pump through how it's supposed to. It's going to be polluted worship. It's not going to be this pure worship in spirit and truth. Yep. You won't be able to do what you're called to do, which ultimately is love him. What's the overarching context of this John 4? Right. So it's a marriage covenant. So the whole thing is really about the marriage covenant between Christ and his church. So you've got someone that's lost, but someone that God has predestined to be married to. So he comes and says, hey, it isn't just about getting saved, it's about becoming my what? Ultimately, my bride. And so it's, it's, it's so beautiful when you see the depth of this. There's five husbands, sixth, the seventh in Hebrew is perfect. So the perfect one turns up and says, hey, lady, want to get married to me? But you're married to someone else. 
but you've been predestined to be married to me. So just like Nick's saying, would you give me a heart so I can fix your heart so we can have oneness together? That's what he's really saying. And like all of us, I had no idea of the marriage covenant 11 years ago. But he did. And he has made me know that. Because I went, what? A marriage covenant? I want to seek that reality. And the Holy Spirit has opened the eyes of my heart to see the reality of the context of the entire scriptures. The rich young ruler, he missed it. He completely missed it because he was so consumed in himself and his own wealth because that was his idol, his money. But it was really because he was the God of his own life. So Jesus said, there's one thing. It's like when he said to Martha, there's one thing. There's only one thing that keeps us out of life. You know, and all the other things, it's one thing. He comes after the one thing, the root that he knows will release us from us. He's so good. But at that apostolic confrontation, because that's what it is, the apostle turns up and speaks. And that's why he sends apostles and prophets, and that's why they speak the same message. And that's why it's so confronting. Because the apostolic grace gifting goes after the same thing the apostle goes after when it sees people bound up. The people don't know they're bound up. The people think they're in Christ, but they can't yet love. And you'll never be able to love until your heart is circumcised and he has your entire heart, which is what Deuteronomy 36 says, which is what Deuteronomy 6 says, which is what Jesus says in Luke 10, 25. But the scribe said, Who's my neighbor wishing to justify himself? And when you track that back, it says, you guys don't understand the scriptures and you don't understand the power of God. You can answer all the questions correctly but not understand the scriptures or the power of God. So just like the scribe who tried to justify himself out of the commandment, he said, oh, who's my neighbor? I'm trying to wiggle my way out of dying here. But unless there's love there, there's no love there. And unless the whole heart is given here, you can't love people with a whole heart. People will just annoy you. And you'll annoy them. And you'll clash. And behavior will clash. And you'll tear one another apart. Yeah. So it says with the freedom you've been given, make sure you don't tear one another apart. So children that get set free through blood but not crucified end up tearing each other apart. I want, I want, rip, rip. And then it just manifests into the church as a whole. And so you see massive division in the body of Christ because we're actually not coming under the head. So we're a headless body. Although we profess to have a head called Jesus, the body doesn't look like the head. doesn't listen to the head, doesn't do what the head says, it does what it wants. And so it continues to live because it's ultimately afraid of that reality like this woman where Jesus says, okay, if you want this, do you really want this? And this is what he says, eh? Like, do you really want it though? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, do you really want it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Do you really, really want it? And I'll give you an example. This is years ago. But when God started to do this dismantling here, I went for coffee with a man and his wife that were going to be leaving because they got sick and tired of the bride of crap. Bride of Christ rubbish is what they said. I was like, oh, wow, it's an interesting point of view. And 
this is, I said to him, I said, you know when God was talking about dismantling and dismantling me? He said, yep. He said, did you think that was for me? Yep, absolutely. He said, did you think that was for you? No. Oh, okay. And because of that, you know, we're leaving. And yet you celebrate it when it's said, but then when it comes knocking, you're held to an account to what you actually really said. That's why you've got to be so careful what you say. So don't say anything you don't really mean. So and this is the challenge. So like we can say we want, we can say we want, we can say we want. He says, okay, I've come to you today. Knock, 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 knock. You said, I heard, I want that. Just give it to him. Come to me, all you are thirsty, all you are hungry, and there'll be an exchange. Lay your life down, surrender it, lose it to find it. And you find something that you didn't know it existed. Like, you didn't even know it existed. And that's the thing, because you can't know it exists until he shows it to you. So that's the challenge, isn't it? You know, you don't know what you don't know. And so you have a passion for what you don't know. But when you're awakened to something that you don't know, even though you don't know it, you're hungry for it. And he goes, yeah, I've been waiting for that hunger to stir. All you are thirsty and hungry. And that's why love is covering and love is patient, hoping and believing that there's going to be a hungry people who want what's being spoken. And that's why we have to love one another while all that's going on. Yes, there is, Warren. The, there's always a counterfeit. There's the false apostle, there's the false prophet, there's the false this, there's the wisdom of man, there's the wisdom of God. So, yes, there's a counterfeit to all things. Let's pray, eh? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that life in you is better than life. Father, I thank you that you are the river of living water. Father, you're the well that only, the only thing that really truly satisfies our soul. And Father, I thank you that as much as we're talking about dying and letting go, it's because you've got something so much greater for us than just natural, normal things. Father, I thank you that you've called us for an eternal purpose into this eternal marriage covenant with you. And Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to be able to see and value and enter into everything that you've made available for us. Um, so Father, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to unlock and unveil the reality of who you are in us, that our lives will be this true expression of worship. We wouldn't be trying to live for you, trying to please you, trying to praise you, trying to serve you. But having received mercy, having received love in us, there would be something that comes so innately in us that our lives would just be an expression of the person that we've come to know. Um, so Father, I pray for, for myself and all of us here that we would come to know you to a greater and deeper measure that you'd set our hearts ablaze and on fire. Um, Father, living from the reality of who you are in us. Um, so we thank you in your, your precious name.